Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to Tree Church Vows Study. My name is Chris Reed, and I get the privilege of hosting this podcast on a, a pretty much weekly basis. But the joy that I get from this is getting to be able to sit down and have a conversation with my friends, with my coworkers, and, and those who love you and love the Word of God. And so, like, it's exciting to be able to present this podcast to you and help you grow in your, in your understanding of the Word of God. And today I'm here with uh, two of my favorite people, uh, Pastor Brandon. How you doing today? Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. And Pastor Matthew. How you Good. doing today, Matthew? I'm great, man. Good. That's great to hear. So um, today we're going to be picking up in Jonah chapter four. We're going to finish that off, but it had a couple uh, got, had a couple questions to ask you before this typical what we normally do, uh, just kind of get you know, get to know you stuff. Uh, today I want to know: Do you guys have any weird superstitions? <laughs> Whoever wants to start. <laughs> I don't. I can't. Couldn't think of anyone specific as an adult that I had. But I remember in like track, I had always this routine that I had to do before I got in the blocks. Like it was like something that if I didn't do, like my race just fell off. Uh-huh. So I just remember that. But outside of like as an adult, I don't think I have anything that I have that's sacred to me that I have to do on a consistent basis. You know, to feel like I'm being blessed or not. You know, I don't yeah. know. Sorry, I'm gonna be pretty lame. I have. <laughs> I am just not a superstitious person. I, I find the concept of luck dumb i gotta be honest yeah and 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 not to make myself sound spiritual but it's because i have a deep conviction that it is cause and effect in our relationship with god that obedience is blessed disobedience is disciplined and so like that is fundamental to my life so yeah i'm around people all the time that knock on wood that you know like like people will be talking to me we'll be talking about a spiritual thing and they'll knock on wood (laughs) and i'm always like that is just the strangest thing to me so but i'm not superstitious yeah so I have one, but I don't know why I have it, and I don't believe in it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just <laughs> yeah. unconscious. Like, if if I want something to happen, I don't say it. Like, it, it's mm-hmm. just weird. Like, it. Yeah. It, nothing in my life has ever said that if I say it, it's <laughs> it, something bad's gonna give, come give true. Me, or, do you mind giving me an example? I'm like. Oh man. Um. So like, if I. If I if I think like I will have a conscious thought like, or it can be for the positive or the negative. So mm-hmm. like. If I'm like, man, I really hope it doesn't rain. Like then you won't speak. Okay, yeah, I get you. like yeah. I, I, if I say it, I feel like it's it's gonna happen. Yeah. And, and I've heard people, I've heard people on staff correct me, like, well, now you said it, and so it's like, <laughs> it's not something like. Yeah, see, I don't get that when when, yeah. when people say stuff like that. I have to resist the urge to correct them, like theologically, be that annoying pastor. <laughs> where you pour like, out my Bible and start yeah. breaking it down. For yeah, you. But, yeah. <laughs> You know, one thing I do, um, it's not superstition, but um, before a, a plane takes off, I always say a prayer, and it just gives me total peace. I, don't, yeah. I mean, like, instant peace. And I'm not really afraid of flying, um, but it's just something I've always done. And so, like, I just have this, like, deep conviction. Well, I prayed this flight's going to be fine. So hmm. um, if it ever proves not to, I won't know because I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll be gone. So. won't be able to communicate that <laughs> yeah, anymore. Sure. It feels like a, pretty secure. Yeah, I, I do the same thing when long trips with driving. I, I always mm-hmm. just yeah, say a prayer before we go. Yeah. yeah, I see that. So, yeah, I don't think that classifies as superstition, though. I think you're, I think you're right there. Okay, so second question, and this one, this one has a little bit more of a serious, serious note to it, but it, it will, I think it will lead into kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but what were you like in high school? Brandon, let's start with you. Uh, First of all, he had a mustache. (laughs) (laughs) At at sixth grade, I had to shave. (laughs) Did you have a tail, too? Stop it. Come on now. Yeah, rat tail. I had a rat tail at the same time. That that was sixth grade? Sixth grade. So it's not even high school. Yeah, no. It wasn't quite (laughs) in that factor yet. Oh, man. Um, I was an unusual kid. I 
if you look at my son, like I would say that's a pretty, I know he's not in high school right now, but that's a pretty good example of like personality wise. I loved adventure. I loved life. I was always full of energy. Like whenever you see me on video doing anything, like I was just always running around being crazy, uh, which might totally see that. Not, yeah. not a surprise, but yeah. uh, so I was a lot, had a ton of energy, um, loved friendship, valued friendship a ton. Um, always a little bit quirky, you know, like in my personality, um, I was always a more emotional than most kids. Like, I don't know, something unique that God has gifted me with my entire life. But, um, and I had two older sisters who, you know, kind of rubbed off on me in that way. So I was always like hyper, um, sensitive to people like wanted to be everybody's friend, you know, not to discredit anybody or throw them aside, like wanted to be fair to everybody at all the time. Um, but I don't know. I was, I was somewhat of an introvert in high school, I think because I was just always like driven mm -hmm. by fear of like being unique and different, but, um, still love being around people and having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, what about you? Uh, high school. Um, I think my world revolved around two things, sports and Mary. Um, so Mary and I are high school sweethearts, but yeah, my whole world was sports. Um, I, I went to a, a private Christian school, and they were, they were pretty good in sports, but I was able, because of that, to play four sports a year. Um, so I did soccer, basketball, baseball, and we did track and baseball at the mm -hmm. same time, and we just had to pick whichever was our primary sport. Um, and so, and I excelled at sports um, and at our level and, and got, you know, recognition and stuff for it. So like, but that was just my world. Like I lived for sports year round from a, an early age. Um, and then when I wasn't doing sports, I was focused on Mary. Um, we had a very healthy relationship. We dated during that time. Um, during school, I, I was an okay student. Uh, I have never loved the academic world mm -hmm. and the environment. Mm -hmm. um, it's not my primary way. So I know like you really, really love it. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of friends that are that way. Uh, my primary way of learning is not someone lecturing me like from, from the front. Um, you know, it's kind of weird though. I think now I would do better, mm -hmm. but it was like sure. at that time it, it wasn't. So, yeah. um, so all that said, I was an okay student. I think I, Cole just asked me that recently. I think I was like a three, six or something like that. So I wasn't bad, but I wasn't like my kids get straight A's right. and they were like, dad, you know, you, you got straight A's, right? And I'm like, never once. I never <laughs> once got straight A's yeah. and they're just shocked by that. Um, but, um, yeah, I was involved in student council. So like this probably won't shock most people who know me, uh, like in the Enneagram, I'm an eight. But I, I was a leader, so I was like always my class president. I was my high school president as a sophomore. Um, so as a nice. freshman, I got elected to be high school president for the next year. And, and um, so, yeah, but that was that's kind of my world. Um, I was um, disrespectful. Uh, I was a punk in that sense uh, to authority, and that's probably my biggest regret. Uh, but besides that, I, I like you said, I was really loyal to friendships. I was mm -hmm. very relational, still am, and uh, had a, a small group of guys that I hung out with, and we were tight. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my world. Very cool. Oh man. I, I would classify my high school in two segments. There was like the freshman and sophomore me, and then there was the junior and senior me. The freshman and sophomore me was just straight up angry. Like I was, I was confused with life and I was confused with like, like I didn't fit in anywhere. Like I, I went, so I went to a Catholic school through grade through. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I, I went to Catholic elementary school and then hit junior high. I went from a class of ten in sixth grade to a class of a hundred. Oh wow! And and like yeah. so like that was a rough transition for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, like being popular that that type of stuff was like all like, that was a that was a mess. So junior high was a mess for me, and then mm. high school those first couple of years like I just I couldn't figure out where I fit. Like you know what I mean. So like I was just angry all the time. I didn't know what was going on. 
um, with life and, and yeah, I, I just, so that, that was my freshman and sophomore year, my junior year, the beginning of my junior year is when, um, I fell in with some friends and got taken to an acquire, an acquire the fire, uh, mm-hmm. conference, which is a youth conference. And I got saved and my high school years changed dramatically. Awesome. So like, um, my outlook on life changed, my, my attitude changed I, and I'm still, I was still a teenager, so like right. I still was moody. I was still kind of grumpy, but shoot, I'm still grumpy now. So <laughs> not much has changed from that. But um, but it's like my whole perspective on mm-hmm. high school kind of changed in that in that time frame, and that was like November of my junior year. So it was really early on, and um, that really established my friend group, gave me people to hang out with. Mm-hmm. So I went from being really a loner to kind of mm-hmm. fitting in to kind of finding my my place. And um, I loved high school from then on. To, funny, as much as I love academics now, I was not. Mm-hmm. I was always naturally gifted in the ability to understand things and, yeah. and just kind of put things together. But I got B's and C's like all the time, mostly because I wanted to hang out with friends and yeah, not, right. you know what I mean? Like it was, it was not, it was a work ethic thing more than a mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. an understanding thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember writing essays. My and if my English teacher is listening to this, I doubt she is. But if she is, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I just apologize right now. I wrote some essays that were like I argued her out of her logic for asking the question. I, I spent the entire essay explaining how dumb the question, the question was. was. Yeah, and so yeah, that that's kind of sums me up in high school. You know, it's funny. Um, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't say this, and maybe we should edit this out later. But it is funny how with each of us. Some of our personalities in high school, we can see it in our kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know oh, yeah, I mean? 100%. Like, like you, you said, mm-hmm. like, your, your son's like you, and, and I know your, your kids are like you, and yeah. I know my kids are like me. Um, and that is that is strange. Yeah. It, there's some good to it, but there's also some, like, do you guys ever have those moments where you're like... All the time. You're like, oh. Have you tried <laughs> to parent it out of them yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the things I... Yeah. Like, hey, I'll say this. Knowing my kids listen to this... Um, <laughs> I discipline my kids for behavior I 100% did oh, at yeah. their age. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like even at times I've been impatient with behaviors and God's convicted me on it cuz yeah, it's like almost like that too. moment where you like you you know it's like you're on the high horse and God's mm-hmm. like Hey, do you remember <laughs> exactly. you as exactly. a junior or yeah. as a senior and you're like yeah. oh yeah. 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 Anytime Solomon's having a meltdown I'm like Stop doing that. Like it's you're going to be so much stronger if you just quit yeah. whining about everything but then I'm like oh wait like yeah. I still do that. I did that last week. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's trying to train it out of them. But Oh, for sure. Like me, I'm like, I'm like, stop challenging authority. And I just told you guys that was my biggest regret <laughs> yeah. in high school. I was like, I saw authority as like a suggestion. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, like you're telling me to do something like, nah, I'll take it into consideration. And uh, so like when my kids act that way, I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you will not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys for sharing. And it really does play into kind of what we're going to get into today. Um, the book of Jonah, like we've been talking about, is geared around the idea of who God is. It is painting a picture of the person of God and how he interacts with people from different backgrounds, people that um, we would say are less than perfect, people like Jonah. And and so the, the main theme that we're going to get into today, and, and as we wrap this book up, what we're going to be focusing on is what is the picture painted of God when we encounter him as, as he has this interaction, this closing interaction with Jonah after the Ninevites have, have repented and they've called out to him and he's, he's changed his mind. He's repented of, of bringing calamity upon them. And so what happens next? Does Jonah has repented? The sailors have repented. The Ninevites have repented. 
now what's going to happen? So, and um, God's perspective towards Jonah is, I think, very applicable to his perspective towards us. And as we think about like our past selves and, and who we were and the men that he's created us to be, that he's made us into today. So um, I'm going to pick up in verse one of chapter four, and then we'll stop and we'll have a conversation just about verse four. So, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So this is in reference to the Ninevites repenting and God not bringing calamity on them. Mm-hmm. So he was angry because God did not strike them down. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Okay, so... (laughs) Jonah's the biggest jerk in the world, right? Oh, man, yeah. So, like, like his response to God's graciousness, it, the whole reason I fled was because I knew you'd be merciful and gracious. And, and Jonah, he is quoting a scripture. He's quoting when God introduces himself to Moses. When he passes in front of Moses, he tells Moses, I am the Lord your God. I'm, uh, I am gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Um, it's actually found in, I think, Exodus 34. Um and so Mo, uh, Jonah quotes this back to God and saying, I knew that that's who you were. <laughs> that's why I didn't want to do it. Right. Hey, like all the examples in the Old Testament of people disobeying God, like 99% of the time it's out of fear. Like if I went there, they would kill me or yeah. I'd be persecuted mm-hmm. or I'd be rejected. This is like the one time where the person's like, I didn't want to go because you were going to be good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It really is shocking. Like yeah. I think up until this point, you might even in your mind, have it in your mind, like that Jonah was afraid, the Ninevites, the Syrians, you know, like they, right. they, they're their enemies and stuff. And all of a sudden you see his heart and it's, it's, it's shockingly ugly. Yeah. Like when you yeah. read it, you're yeah. like, oh, that's, yeah. that's the worst. Yeah. Cause he almost like oddly worships God in a moment by recognizing <laughs> that he yeah. is who he is. But then at the same time, he's mad at God for being that type of God that he's worshiping. And it's like, what? It's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and what's hard to, to think about and what it, what's hard. So Jonah, we would, I would love to vilify Jonah and say like, man, Jonah, Jonah's such a, such a jerk. Like he, right. he's just like, but then like, I know that I've acted that way before, and I know that 100%. like like I've I've responded that way. Like, well, God, why did mm-hmm. why did you give them good? Why did you you know what I yeah. mean? Like, so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, why is it so easy to grow hard towards others? And and what circumstances? Like, you talk you mentioned Jonah like would have recognized that maybe they were enemies, mm-hmm. but but what are the what are the circumstances that that revolve in our lives that cause us to grow hard towards people because it is a temptation for us, it is a temptation to be like Jonah at times and and to not want graciousness for God's grace for other people and and kind of how do we how do we counteract that because obviously that's not God what we're going to see is that's not God's heart that He exemplifies so. How, why, why do we go hard? Why do we have hard hearts, and how do we how do we respond to that, and how do we keep our hearts soft? Yeah, I, I think I mean what this illustrates is the idea that we have such a um, subjective and biased opinion mm-hmm. that gives ourselves the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. and we don't do that for others, and and that really is the shocking part of grace that that we have to be challenged in because mm-hmm. here's what like I do. So I, I think this is probably common, but I'll just speak for myself. 
is when it comes to my own fault, I give myself the benefit of the doubt because I do know in my heart, I long to honor God. Mm -hmm. I, I want to do what's right. And, but even if that wasn't, even if I wasn't a person of religion and faith, I would still, because you see it in the world, people just, like, they'll even say, like, I'm, well, I'm a good person. Like, mm -hmm. people will do the worst thing and say, well, I'm still a good person. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? Because in our minds, it's that way. But then when we think about other people, we never give them that benefit of the doubt. We actually go to the other extreme mm -hmm. where where there's that like that gap, that fill in the blank where we're not really sure. We put the worst case scenario in there. So it's like, oh, that person did that because they're a selfish jerk who wanted to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And that's all they think about. And we don't think about them in the positive. And so our hearts grow hard toward them because it really is when we get hurt and wounded, it hits that part of us. And we naturally respond from a, a perspective of pain, right. of letdown, of frustration. Mm -hmm. right. And and that's why it becomes so easy. I think it's almost like a protective mechanism Absolutely. because sure. like if Brandon hurts me and I go like, oh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then I reach out and he hurts me again. Yep. And I'm oh, okay, benefit of the doubt. And he hurts me again. Like that, we would look at that and go like, that's really unwise. Mm -hmm. right. And so it, it's like this protective element that we just go, you know what? In order to protect my heart, I have to think Absolutely. you're evil. I have yep. to put a wall here, mm -hmm. and my heart has to grow hard. Otherwise, I'm going to keep getting wounded. And this was so, like you asked the question earlier, me in high school, this was, I've talked about this yeah. uh, as part of my testimony. I could cut someone off emotionally in a mm -hmm. relationship in a moment and not think about it. I'm, I, I'm embarrassed about it, but I'm not exaggerating. So like, oh, you wronged me? Okay, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. All right, next. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I can't do that anymore. But like, it, and it was a protective mechanism because I didn't want to be hurt all the yeah. time. For yeah. sure. I. So like, where you would say like it happened to you, mine would be the fear of it, like mm -hmm. the fear yeah. of being rejected. If I thought that you would, mm -hmm. that you're thinking about coming like hurting me or right. coming at me, mm -hmm. I would shut it off. Like yeah. I wouldn't even let it happen. So like that mindset does really get us into a place where like it's kind of us versus them like yeah. it, it gets us to a place where now you're outside you're against me and now i have an enemy yeah brandon you were gonna say something i know i was off, gonna sorry. in staff church we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago and i mentioned in our little small group that it's always the repeat offenders that i have the hardest time doing this mm -hmm. with and yeah. you mentioned that like that right. repeat hurt over and over again and i think about specific relationships that i've had where i have done the reconciliation portion and then that same behavior happens again, and I do get hurt. That second time, although you're learning and maturing in, in those areas, it's still tough to go back and say, I'm going to extend mm -hmm. grace to you because mm -hmm. it is like, it's. I just know it's going to happen again. That's yeah. like the fear that lingers in your brain. And so it kind of prevents you from wanting to pursue those relationships anymore, even no matter how many times God says, nope, go show them grace. Yeah. There's that saying, like, fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. Fool me twice, shame yeah. on me. Right. And the same thing, hurt. Hurt me once, shame on you. Right. Hurt me twice, shame on me. It's like that concept because, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, we, we think, like, if you're educated, again, this is not a faith perspective. Mm -hmm. It's a human perspective that if you're smart, you're going to position yourself in a posture to protect yourself. So, like, even our bodies naturally do it. Like, it's the concept of, like, if you, you know, rub your hand on something, you'll, you'll get blisters. Like, you, there's a toughness to it to prepare so that you don't just keep getting wounded with your hands. Like, mm -hmm. so all three of us do CrossFit and we exercise. Calluses. So, like, we have calluses and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we're proud of them because we're <laughs> CrossFit. <laughs> no. It's a manly but, thing. But it's because if you did it, your hands would hurt every single time you right. got on the bar. Yeah. And the same thing in our hearts. So, I don't want my heart to hurt every single time. Right. And so, hardness we think is the healthy thing, mm -hmm. protects our heart. Mm -hmm. And God goes, no, that's not what I want. And and that is a difficult thing because it is a faith perspective. Yeah. And so what are things that we can do actively to kind of work against that? 
Mm-hmm. Mine is going back to God's mercy. Uh, that's 100%. the only thing that changes my heart every single time is what has Christ done for me? And I, I wish it was like this more, maybe just profound, but more, this more profound, deeper thought than that. But it's mercy changes me into a merciful mm-hmm. person. That's all I can say. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Um, I just had a conversation yesterday with Dr. Gorby. Uh, we're working together on a, a series I'm going to be doing um, uh, uh, this year. And we were talking about it. He referenced my testimony of cutting people off. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I'm not that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm actually the other extreme, like the pendulum swing of every single relationship, even the ones that are broken. Mm-hmm. I wish I could reconcile sure. them. But the only reason that's true is because of God's mercy. Mm-hmm. He has been so merciful to me. Like, I think, I don't know what people think. So, like, I think to some degree people think maybe pastors um, are just at a, a different level of, like, holiness and perfection sure. like because I, I i've just had enough conversations so when i say things it might come across as disingenuous and i it really isn't i am so fully aware of of how inadequate i am mm-hmm. in in skills but also how evil i am in motivations and hearts and thoughts and like behaviors mm-hmm. that like this is the perpetual tension mm-hmm. of my life that the fact that god keeps allowing me to do this profession keeps allowing blessing upon it Every single time that something in my life is blessed, it softens my heart more because I'm like, I do not deserve right. what you just gave me. Right. So like the simple things, like when we see the testimonies that we're in staff and we're like, oh, this person just got saved and these new families and like we see growth. Like mm-hmm. we're in a season right now where we've added like 350 people since last year this time. Mm-hmm. Like that causes my heart to be softer. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not an arrogant thing. It's mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Why us? You know, why yeah. why us, God? And it's because of God's goodness. So, like, I think the person who has a hard heart doesn't understand the grace that's been shown to them yeah. by yeah. God. And so that would be my challenge to them is you have to understand your sin and the grace so that you can show someone. And if you really understand your sin and grace, you have to, it compels you mm-hmm. to show grace to mm-hmm. people. Yeah, and that's that's why Jesus and and Paul both go to that place where they're like, Love your enemies. Why? Right. Why? Why love your enemies? Yeah. Well, because God loved His enemies, and I get I reap the yeah. benefit of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you are the enemy. Of because God. I was the enemy, <laughs> right? Man, now I feel bad. I was <laughs> no, just kidding. But yeah, we we forget that at one point, and, and that's why Paul says, mm-hmm. "Always like keep this in front of you." When you were lost in your trespasses, that's when God came uh-huh. and found you yeah. and rescued you, mm-hmm. and that is what has the like you guys both said had the has the power to transform our lives. And the command to do that, to be that way towards other people, to be gracious in the face of anger, of frustration, of, of, of them being an enemy to us, is also what demonstrates that graciousness to mm-hmm. them. And, and we're yeah. going to talk about that here in just a minute, like ways in which meeting anger with mercy transforms a situation. Mm-hmm. So um, let's read verse 5 and 6, and then we'll kind of get into that conversation. So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he sh- should see what would become of the city. So God God hasn't. He just said he's going to relent. So he's not actually—he's he, going to wait the full 40 days and kind of just wait it out and see what happens. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah is angry. Jonah is frustrated because God's going to be kind to people and whatnot. But and, and God shows him grace and mercy by giving him shade over his head. 
God extends grace in a moment when Jonah is angry with him. Mm-hmm. How powerful is that? Yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Um, I, I had a situation, I, I've shared this before, but um, I got to get out of the habit of saying that. At this point, I've talked so much, and I can <laughs> preach it. I'm always like, you've heard this story before. Uh, but years ago, uh, we were on vacation, and uh, we always vacation in Michigan. Mary's parents have a cottage on the west side of Michigan. And, um, and we were vacationing, so it was just my family at the cottage. And I had a day where I was just not fun to be around. And there was some other stuff going on, like just with like my own mind and heart church stuff. And I was like processing through it. And I was grumpy. I was short. I was just, I was like the worst. I mean, I, I'm not a yeller and screamer like that, but I was just like, just not a good day, right? And uh, at the end of the day, the entire day, Mary was so, so kind to me and never met my negative energy. And at the end of the day, was like even asking me like, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? You know, and, and I, I said to her, I was like, you were so loving to me and I didn't deserve it. And it like it, it was like this deep, passionate moment in my heart where I realized what love was. The irony of it was like, it was like a day later, two days later, I had the exact same experience. I was like short again. I was in a bad mood over the same situation I was going through. And she, same thing, same love. And it, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was a pivotal moment in our marriage where mm-hmm. I went, Oh my goodness, like that love to me, that's how I need to act. And um, and, and you guys know Mary, that's been the, probably more the rhythm of our marriage is like that type of grace. Mary is quick to forgive. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm not at times. And so like, oh, here, I'll say it this way. What the difference is, I, I can forgive, but I have to, it takes me a while to emotionally come down. Yeah, sure. So like Mary can be like, if, you know, like, if I offended Mary and I go, I'm sorry, she's like, I forgive you. And then we're good. Right. Mm-hmm. If if Mary offends me and she apologizes and she goes, I'm sorry, I'm like, I forgive you. <laughs> you know, but I'm like still like amped up, you sure. know, like it yeah. takes a it takes a, a time. But anyways, Mary's love for me has that was a that's just been pivotal for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jonah's response is so funny because it is all of our response. Like when we are in those modes, like we're gonna turn to that person and expect them to just absolutely like whether it's God or whether it's like the destruction that we want to see in their lives, you know, right. that that things will just be destroyed. But but Jonah, it's so funny that he makes a camp. That he turns <laughs> no. and faces the city and's like, okay, I'm gonna wait and see what God does in yeah. this moment. Like almost still expecting that God's gonna just give them destruction and everything, but then God shows him grace in that process as of him still being in the grumpy pants. You know what I mean? And I think it's the same thing when you, you know your story, but also stories in my own life when I met with grace in a moment where I'm a jerk. Like it's mm. shocking. You yeah. know what I mean? And it instantly like settles your heart. You know. Mm-hmm. To, to, to know that you're being received in that way. Yeah, something I'm still trying to learn is is that um, meeting the same energy of someone who's frustrated or angry doesn't always produce the most benefit. Right. Like, yeah. And I, I recognize this most in parenting. Like, sometimes your kids lose their mind and they get out, mm-hmm. they get frustrated and they're grumpy. They're grumpy and they're angry and they're frustrated by you. And and every time I've met that that frustration with frustration, it's never gone well. And it's like. Mm-hmm. Yet on the opposite side of things, like I, I've seen moments where I've met somebody in customer service where I've just been like, they've totally failed me. They, they've totally dropped the ball on this. I'm just going to meet them with grace and kindness and and handle it, still be firm, handle it the way that needs to be handled, um, but not just lose, not lose my cool or whatnot. And, and you know what, God oftentimes moves in that situation or, or God changes their hearts in that situation. Right. Um, I think biblically, I think of the, 
the Apostle Paul. The mm-hmm. Apostle Paul mm-hmm. should have been met with Jesus's judgment on the road to Damascus, and he wasn't. And it changed Paul and Western civiliz- civilization's life. Yeah, because absolutely because he met him with with grace. So, verse seven. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So jo- Jonah's, Jonah's graciousness here, or Jonah's relief is short-lived. Um, the idea is that God kind of gave him the plant, but God took it away. And, and maybe there's some conjecture here, and may, I might be off on this, so this is me filling in some gaps. God maybe goes, okay, Jonah responded well whenever I gave him good, what happens when I when I take it away again? What's his what's his heart going to be like? And, and Jonah kind of proves his heart, but it's he he exemplifies an an attitude that I think we oftentimes can exemplify. And it's this: when God is giving good, like we we are good. When right. God takes something away, man, now I'm frustrated. Now I'm disoriented. Now I'm uh, I'm reeling for from what's going on. How how should we approach? loss in our lives, and and I realize loss can be anything from the extreme of it to something silly as, Mm -hmm. like, losing our keys. You know what I mean? Like, all of those moments create frustration. So what what do we do with that? Like, why, how do we approach it with a way that would respond, God, like what Job does, God, you gave and you take away. God, I trust you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, I can go back to early Christianity for me, and that was a season of that process. You know, I had lived a life of essentially okay. choosing my <laughs> You mean early Christianity, your early Christianity. No, yeah, no, not like... <laughs> I was like... 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago when <laughs> I, I was, was there with up, the church, first <laughs> no, church. My early Christian okay. experience of walking out of uh, of a sinful life and like God saying, I'm, I'm going to remove those things or take those things away uh, because I had established all these types of things that I thought were good for my life. And that process was that, you know, like just me being somewhat frustrated and angry with God removing certain things. I don't quite understand it. This hurts. Like, why is there pain in this? All those questions that will arise in moments when those things kind of disappear or or taken away. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of the most obvious example. But I think at times it's trying to decipher what is God trying to teach me in this moment of me not needing this, whatever that might be. And it could be, like you said, it could be a relationship. It could be. Um, something as extreme as death, you know, or even a change of behavior or habits, you know, within our lives. But it is something to kind of continually surrender and, and trust in God. And yeah, you and I have been having conversations a lot about mm-hmm. like the whole concept of fasting, mm-hmm. of of just doing things that that kind of create a that, that allow hunger on a physical sense, but also not watching as much television, doing t- taking the Sabbath, doing all these different practices. And, and I know, Matthew, you celebrate taking a Sabbath and whatnot, but doing these disciplines that really do create opportunity for us to feel the weight and the need of need for God. Like mm-hmm. in those moments of lack, there they are opportunities to, to trust God. And so I, I know I'm finding that in my life is I've been trying to, to be self-disciplined in what I eat, and, and that oftentimes leads to moments of hunger and I've tried to let those things be opportunities to go like, no, my, my, not, not to be super spiritual, but the, the thing that Jesus said, my true hunger, I'm, I'm okay. My true life comes from who Jesus is, my relationship with him. And so that, 
that that lack at times is not always a bad thing, even though I think Jonah would have said there was bad, it was a, a negative thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it becomes a good thing in our life. How I, I think though, like there is a sense of there's a sense of entitlement maybe that we have in our culture. There's a sense of um, frustration that can, that can stem from this idea that that our lives are meant to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and whole. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. when that's not, there's frustration there. Ma- Matthew, can you speak to that a little bit? Just just speaking to that, how we kind of overcome, we counteract it with the mercy of God. Kind of the thing that you said, Brandon. Mm-hmm. But but could you speak to that that element of our culture and how that kind of fits into? Um, things that we need to be aware of and work on in our lives. Yeah, I mean, so when you're looking at it from a cultural perspective, if we're talking about entitlement, what what that means is, so we feel like we deserve something, but there's also a part of expectation then. Mm -hmm. And that's where the tension is, is, um, so whatever the motivation is, whether it's entitlement or it's just the rhythm of life, when you get to a place where you're expecting something and then it doesn't happen, that's when there's tension in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this for me, I don't suffer as much when God takes something away because I needed that thing. It's more for me of the mystery of God that at times mm-hmm. has frustrated me. Sure. So like when, um, I, I've shared this so many times, but when uh, when we initially secured financing for this building and then it went away, like up, up, up until that point, everything was so supernatural. Like God providing this building, you know, our, our realtor called and said, if you considered this location, I'm like, it's not even for sale. He's like, I know, but what if it was? And then he calls the the owners and they just happened to be getting it ready to sell. And then we did that. We were able to get the financing. Like all these things fell into place. So like in my mind, it became an expect, expectation. I wasn't entitled to it, sure, but I was sure. expecting it because I'm like, God, I mean, it's like dominoes, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. Like, oh, this is going to be glorious. And then all of a sudden, God hit the brakes, and what He did was not what I expected. And I was, I, I was sad. Like I had all types of emotions. I was sad. I was scared. I was frustrated. Um, I felt embarrassed, and because I was the leader, and like I'm in, in somewhat of a prophetic voice speaking to our church, this is what God's called us to do. And the elders mm-hmm. were on board, but like we prayed about it. I know I'm the primary leader. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh no, right? right. And so like in that season was, was tough for me. Um, and I think that's always been the tension in my life. It's the mystery of God. Mm-hmm. What I've had to learn is to understand that God's God is always good, mm-hmm. and He's always generous, and so His mysterious ways are ultimately better than the known ways to me. And so, like, if I look at that season, so that season, the good that came out of it is. In that time where financing stopped, we got our finances so much better in mm-hmm. line. Like mm-hmm. there were some things of just like not even uh, tracking finances as good as we could have for like the budget. And then like we had more in savings and we were more disciplined. By the time we got done with that process, we were a much more um, refined organization mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And like our finances were in a better place to where now like we really do reap the benefit mm-hmm. of that. And so like you look at that and you go, oh, I see it now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and, and when we've had times where where God has stalled us or paused us for anything mm-hmm. and then we see the after effects like, OK, I see it now. Same thing in our lives. I think that that has to be the rhythm for us is to to pause at times and to recognize in the past what God did that we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And and I think if you're never taking steps of faith and you're never processing through it, that's harder because right. you don't have those evidences for us now. We have those evidences where I can go, like God can do something mysterious, and I can say, like, 
I don't love this right mm -hmm. now. Like mm -hmm. I don't love this season and I still have those emotions, but I trust you. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you where I struggle the most. Um, and this is really genuine. I don't struggle with myself. I struggle with people I love. Mm -hmm. when, when they suffer and they hurt, I look at them through rose-colored glasses in the sense of like, I just love them. So whether it's my wife or my kids, I love them and I think they're the best. I think if there's ever a person God should bless, it's, you know, it's them. Mm -hmm. And when they hurt and when they suffer, that's very, very difficult for me. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest with you, that's the season I'm in right now of constant tension with me and God. And, and as I say that, I hope everyone knows, like, I have a deep relationship with God. I'm saying sure. I have an authentic relationship where I go, God, this is what I don't understand. Mm -hmm. This is what frustrates me. So, like, when my kids have hurt in the past, um, there have been times I'm like, all right, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm frustrated right now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. I don't understand. But at the same time, I can pray prayers of faith where I can go, mm -hmm. I'm frustrated and I'm confused. I know your ways are good. I'm just telling you right now, I am super struggling. Yeah. <laughs> you guys ever had that moment? Oh, yeah, 100%. You, okay, yeah. so and that's, but it's like, again, it's like this honest, honest approach to God, but also faith perspective. I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I'm hurt, I'm confused, mm -hmm. I trust you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think that's the rhythm. And when we follow that rhythm, we start to see God move, then our faith increases. Yeah. yeah. We're in the middle of reading a couple books right now, but mm -hmm. even specifically the one that I was talking about in a meeting we were discussing yesterday. Um, he was mentioning that sometimes, for whatever reason, we view Christianity as this thing where things never happen, like that we're just going to be floating through mm -hmm. pure comfort, mm -hmm. wholeness all the time. But he said, like, a genuine faith is a life that's still up and down, but yet is still faithful through those things, can trust mm -hmm. in God's faithfulness and His providing, you know, and all those things. And and that brought a lot of clarity to me because whenever I'm trying to explain discipleship to people, there is this thought of like, why am I frustrated? Why mm -hmm. am I ticked off right now? Why am I dealing with God? Why am I doubting at times? And I want to say to them, like, that's genuine experiential faith, you know, mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. That's genuine discipleship that you're going through right now. That's not, it's special to you because it is your story, but it's right. not unique to you. Yeah. You're doing it. You're walking through it, but still continue to cling to faith in those moments or still continue to trust in God in those moments. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I've yet to meet the Christian that floats through life. Mm -hmm. So if you are floating through life, there's a chance you're not living right. real Christianity. Right. Yeah. W what creates that expectation inside of us though? Because I know I've dealt with it in the past of like the whole, like one day I'm going to get to this certain level and then like, and, and then the, it's not that bad things won't happen, but it will be that my response will be impervious to kind of what, yeah. what happens. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think in our lives we, we, because this is on the human perspective, you put attention and energy towards something, you get better at it. Like, I mean, that's, that's yeah. what we've been trained our entire lives. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're bad at math, puts more attention toward math. You'll get better at math. You might not ever be great, but you'll get better. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, even the concept of mastery, uh, there's been studies done and there's different philosophies on it, but if you put 10,000 hours towards something, you right. can master something. Mm -hmm. So there is that mindset. Cause I, I was just listening to someone talk about that this week. Actually, it was a, a audio book and uh, they were talking about the 10,000 hours. And I was like, in my mind, trying to contemplate like teaching. I, I'm like, how many hours have I put toward <laughs> teaching? Like, I wonder. You're probably there. I'm probably fairly <laughs> close, but like, I, here's the thing. I don't feel like a master, but I was just like, in my mind, I was like, because I was trying to figure out, is there anything in my life that I've put 10,000 hours or that's the reason why mm -hmm. I went down that, not to be like, uh, I'm a master preacher. <laughs> now. I was thinking through we'll that. But, that, but there is that mindset, right? Like if I put enough, so if you're living a Christian life in every day, like, so if you're picturing it, like, whatever, you know, 16 wake, uh, awaken hours a day, every single day, I should be getting to that place of mastery. Yeah. And I feel like 
there are, I'm not going to like, um, do the false humility thing, but like, I feel like I'm getting more disciplined in some areas. Sure. Yeah. But yet the closer I get toward Christ, the more he just like, it's like an onion. He's just peeling layers and going, okay, now let's talk about this and that. Mm -hmm. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, right. Because, but it's never in a shame way, but it's just so we can keep being more like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And even Jonah goes through this process, that question that, that he asked, like, what does it do you good to be angry right now? I think if you go, we could take many questions and make it out of that. What, yeah. what does it do you good to be stressed right now? You know, why are you worried Man. about tomorrow? All those things can be stripped away like that yeah. onion layer so that we can replace it with trust and what God's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all comes back to, to like what you said, it's the relationship. God isn't asking us to become mm -hmm. robots that are impervious to, to all of the things around us. He asks us to enter life with him and to enter in the conversations mm -hmm. like what you're having with him and, it, and and it's modeled in scripture so it's a scriptural right. concept the psalms are full of mm -hmm. disappointment frustration yeah of asking god to break the teeth of the wicked right. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. Be because not because they're they're seeking violence or necessarily they they're processing a real human emotion mm -hmm. with a real god of power and faith and, and yeah. they're trying to process their faith out with him so yeah i mean so, so like when we look at like the, the, that tension, I think we need to understand there are times we put expectations on God that he never promised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So like this is one of the most damaging things that happens in relationships is when you have um, unsaid expectations. So this happens in marriage. You expect your spouse to do something. You've never said it. They've never agreed to it, but yet you're judging them by this unsaid standard. We do the same thing with God. So we do in our minds go, okay, so here's the standard we have. If I follow God, then I should be blessed. I should be happy, whole, all the things you listed, mm -hmm. right? And God's like, well, I've never actually said that. Mm -hmm. I've never said that life's going to be free of pain, just the opposite. I, mm -hmm. And I acknowledge this a lot in my teaching mm -hmm. is God says on one hand, I, I want you to experience life at its fullest. I just talked about this past Sunday, life at its fullest. But on the other hand, he's like, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be brokenness. There's going to be storms. What God has said to us is his ultimate good that he's working toward is faith. He wants us to mm -hmm. grow in faith. Faith is the foundation of ex abundant life. It's a foundation of a deep relationship. This side of heaven, we still have sin as a part of our world. Mm -hmm. So we're still operating in the brokenness of a world impacted by sin. And so in that, this is all like practice, if you want to picture it that way. All of that, so sin and death and stress and all that, will be removed in eternity for those who are in, put their faith in Jesus Christ. But up until this point, He's just training us toward that. So the abundant life that God offers is faith. This is what I said on Sunday, Absolutely. too. It's, it's faith. It's not free from pain. It's God's presence in your pain. It's God's presence in your situation. Mm -hmm. And so he's training us to get to that place where no matter what happens, we go, God, I trust you. I trust your ways. So even Jonah is, a, I mean, he's obviously the like anti-hero in this story, but <laughs> Jonah, he was like, God, I know you're going to be good. And he was frustrated by that, where he, whereas he should have been like, God, I don't understand why you're good right. to this people because they're not your chosen people. They're idolatry and adulterous and, and evil in all these ways. Mm -hmm. But he should have said, I don't understand it, but I trust it. Mm -hmm. I trust you. I trust yeah. your good ways. Mm -hmm. and, and that would have been a better story. <laughs> no, <laughs> but this is real, and I love the realness yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say, whoever wrote this chose realness instead of, yeah. like, well, instead of the better story. Can but. you imagine? Okay, you know, like when you get to heaven, right? Like there's going to be those moments. I would have to imagine there's going to be those moments. I, I don't know how we're going to process it, but where you meet Moses. You know, like your whole life we've read the story, so you're going to be like, yeah. like, Moses and like, oh, there's Samuel. You know, oh, there's Abraham. You know, like the, the the apostles. And then it's gonna be like, 
Oh, there's there's Jonah. Hey, Jonah. He's you know, still like, pouting off in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> or just super God, embarrassed. God's, like, God, yeah, God's yeah. got his plan over top of yeah. him. But. Can you imagine Jonah's just walking around? Jonah, like, not stop going, like, I know, guys, okay? I, I had a bad moment. Like, they didn't write about all your bad moments in Scripture. <laughs> like, Jonah probably was this incredible prophet. Like, he, you know, can you imagine if he was used in all these other, like, it's awesome ways? like, I had ways. a bad week. And he had, yeah, the one thing God calls him to do, and he's like, oh, man. <laughs> Well, uh, so the, Jonah's going to be persistent here, so <laughs> yeah. we're, we're going to keep going, but he's going to stay true to his character. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? So he asked him, does he do well to be angry for the Ninevites? Does he do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. <laughs> he's such a drama queen. Brandon just about spit water across <laughs> the... And so, okay, so... Jonah has the opportunity once again to surrender his heart to God's heart, to, to make his heart like God's heart, and at least to do what you just said, to acknowledge, like, God, I don't understand this, and, uh, and approach God in a humble manner, right. and yet he doesn't. He, he steps to God once again in a prideful way, and, 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 and this is, I think, the way Jonah's being prideful is not confusing, but the idea of pride, I think, can be confusing for people because we hear, like... I'm a proud parent. I'm proud of my <laughs> my kids. Mm -hmm. But pride is a very dangerous and very detrimental thing to our faith. We see it here with Jonah. Jonah Jonah's pride is keeping him from both benefiting from the grace of God and understanding God's plan and who God is. Yep. And so so let's maybe define pride a little bit and then talk about like why it's so important that that we not just get better about our pride, but drop our pride altogether and approach God in, in, a, in a humble fashion. Yeah, for me, it's like this flux back and forth. I, I see the seasons when I am in like complete, um, you know, a mess, you know, in seasons and it creates humility. But then for some, whatever reason, it starts to shift into that pride zone when things are going well. You know, I start to look at it and I'm like, yeah, this is all me. You know, I'm making this happen. As, as somehow I'm in control of every single aspect of my life. And I think pride is that moment where self starts to be lifted up a little bit higher than it ever was intended or, you know, whenever mm -hmm. the perspective that God never wanted us to have. And so it's like a high view of self. Um, it draws us to even what you guys were talking about earlier, that, that idea of independence, that I'm somehow doing this on my own power, my own will, sure. independently apart from God. And I think it anything that moves us out of that faith world that you were mentioning mm -hmm. and into that self-sustaining or self-preservation mode is such a dangerous world to shift into. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, pride, I don't have a great definition as much as I would just say, like, it's it's giving yourself more value mm -hmm. than you deserve. Mm -hmm. and, and that is a tendency that we have because it's like what we talked about in the beginning of this. We just naturally, in our own minds, like in our mind's eye, we just, we give ourselves a benefit of the doubt. We place higher value on ourselves. So we place higher value on our opinions, on our perspectives, on our desires. Mm -hmm. Like you think about it in, in most relationships and specifically in marriage, the tension is my desires are more important than your desires. Mm. And, and so like, if you're not meeting my desires, I don't care how many other desires are meeting. I, it, like if you're not doing mine, like then I'm frustrated. And so like, there is that, that, that root in pride. And I know for me, it's the number one thing I battle mm. is pride mm. because it's especially when I, I'm really confident that I'm right and someone wants to argue with me, like that's when my pride kicks in because I'm like, oh, I'm right, you know, and you're <laughs> wrong. And like, yeah, so the pride is that part that keeps me from 
acting and thinking like Jesus. It I'm a I'm a worse parent, worse husband, worse friend, worse mm-hmm. pastor, pastor, worse um, member of our our community when I have pride in my heart. And and so like whenever I am offended, I have to do a, a check in my heart, allow the Holy Spirit to do it. That's based on pride, where I'm going like, okay, why does that offend me? Mm-hmm. Why does that make me upset? And it's always rooted in the fact that like I put higher value on my comfort, my opinion, all those things. And there are sometimes, I mean, like he's so dramatic, Jonah, yeah. right? Like I could die. I mean, this is literally what he says. And you look at it and you go like, oh, come on. But yet that is me. That is my story. Like, I should get that tattooed on my arm. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Like, because that is the drama of it. We go, no, yeah. this is how serious this is. And we think like, this is so critical that this gets handled right now. Mm-hmm. And then when we take a step back, we go, no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But what is that that makes it more dramatic? It's pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say pride shows up too. We often think pride as someone who is overconfident in their abilities. There is still that overconfidence in in, in something but it also demonstrates in a lack of an underconfidence in mm-hmm. not not in abilities, but in, in who you are. If you think that everybody is going to reject you, you begin to put up a wall, and now you you start to to shut people off who mm-hmm. you think are prideful. You know what I mean? And right. so, like, it, it, and and it's just another form of of pride in a way where you now become self-righteous and it, it's again, it's an elevation of self, yeah. but it manifests in different ways. If that makes sense. hundred percent does that. So, Mary and I have talked about that. It is an odd dynamic of, you can look at a person who is both arrogant and insecure yeah. and you would think yeah. those would be competing, but they're not because it's right. just a different motivation that leads to the pride and the pride. It reveals itself in different ways. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's like, so I might put a higher priority on my opinion or my desires or my comfort or the protection of my heart. I'm elevating me, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. So I elevate me in arrogance. I elevate me in insecurity, and and those are both prideful things. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah, the only way to to fix that mm-hmm. is to understand our us through the proper lens. We are right. sinners deeply loved by God, and like it is those two things. Like, no, I am the worst. Mm-hmm. He is the best, and right. He deeply loves me. And in that, we start to understand. We have humility, but not humility and insecurity. We have humility in in total security because right. we are the worst. Humility, we are deeply loved, secured, but that only happens in a relationship with God. Right, and, and so I I love the culture that we you've created here with us as a staff. We we critique things often, and mm-hmm. and this that idea of being crit- critiqued. If you are insecure, if you're not comfortable in the, the secure place that you are in the relationship within the staff in the relationship within like the role that you've been given by God in, in this place, like that can become something that fuels insecurity or it can be that safe place. Like what you mm-hmm. demonstrated, I, I see that as such a good example of like, if you are wrapped in this environment where you are safe and you know that that person is working mm-hmm. for your good, mm-hmm. how it's way better to, to be humble in that moment and go, you know, you're, you're right. Maybe my idea wasn't the best idea. Yeah. Maybe what I tried, maybe it didn't work as well, but it's okay because they're not angry at me. They're not like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're not rejecting me. It's just the whole idea of, of the, the hum- humility in a safe place. I just wanted to illustrate. No, that for whole sure. Concept. So it, we, 
if we've never said this out loud, I think I've, I've mentioned this uh, on a Sunday, but we do have a culture of critique. So that's the phrase you just used. Right. So we, we critique everything. So um, we critique like these Bible studies, not necessarily on a weekly basis. We don't need right. to do that. But like we're constantly evaluating Sunday morning services, the, the small groups and what we call connect groups, uh, different ministries. So we critique. And, and one of the truth of it is we highlight that all the time. We say we're a culture of critique. But the, the truth of it is the balance of it, and even disproportionately, is we're a culture of love, though. Right. Yeah, we're a culture yeah, yeah. of encouragement and grace and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's probably something we need to do a better job of explaining. So even like this past week, we're, we're interviewing an employee mm -hmm. uh, to potentially to hire, and we keep warning this person, <laughs> we're a culture of critique. How do you handle that? Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, we actually had to pause and go, you know what, let's give you a little balance of this. Mm -hmm. we, we are a culture of critique, but right. you're also, your biggest fans are going to be the people around you, the people that will say the kindest yeah. words and stuff. And that is the truth. It's like you have to be able to handle both. Mm -hmm. But but they give, I think they give the balance is you have to have love, you have to have support, then you also have the critique. Yeah. As someone who has struggled at times with insecurity, is that need to prove that I'm worthy, capable, fill in the blank in yeah. that moment? And I think if that root continues to fester and you don't find yourself in a, a space of security, whether it's with friendships or an environment like this, or even within your relationship with God, mm -hmm. it is that repetitive thing of like, I have to make this work. I have to elevate myself. I have to show that mm -hmm. I have value and worth. And that's just not how it operates in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And doesn't pride automatically come out of that moment when somebody steps in and goes, hey, Mm, you're not quite cutting it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Or offers a more helpful critique than, hey, yeah. you're not cutting it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, even if they, you then, if you, in that moment, if your fear is, I'm rejected now, your instant response is pride. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And protection. And yeah. protection. Yeah. 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 Kind of what we went back to at the beginning <laughs> of the, the conversation. Yeah. Right. And, and let me say oh, one more thing. No, that's okay. Pride is. is so it, it's such a weird distorter because it distorts our behavior outward, but it also distorts information coming inward. Mm -hmm. And so like, I know, like, I don't think either of you would be embarrassed by me saying this, but at times in both of you guys' lives, I've said to you, mm -hmm. at some point, my prayer is that you see yourselves the way that we see you, mm -hmm. right. that other people see you, right? Yeah. Because like, like, all of us embrace a mindset so this is the weird dynamic. So like, we'll give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and all those different things. But also in our mind's eye, we remember all of our failures. Mm -hmm. And we're, we, in some ways, haven't created that break. Mm -hmm. And so like you asked the question earlier, what were we like in high school? The truth of it is there's still a part of all of us that we still think we're the same person. Yeah, 100%. And, and we're not, like not even close. Like yeah. there's that is a different person. So like that's what I've said to you guys at times and other people. And like if you could see you the way that I see you, you would not have insecurity, mm -hmm. right? You know, and right. like, and so that's the part of it that is a weird thing of pride that needs to be put to death mm -hmm. because it distorts, like I said, behavior going outward and information coming inward. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's what you're seeing play out with Jonah is like he just has this. It's just convoluted, right? Like yeah. you see his response, and my guess is like this is the joke of it. But my guess is if you talk to Jonah, he's probably this incredible man of God. <laughs> Why else would God call him to be the spokesperson and all that? Um, but but this is what we see. Yeah, this is he's how got a clouded out. lens yeah, that he's viewing sure. himself in. So let's finish this uh, finish this book off, and we'll get the last two verses. And <laughs> man, I love the way this book ends. It just <laughs> it's perfect. And the Lord God said, "You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh?" The great city, again, remembering great means important, mm -hmm. in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And that's just an idea of like, they, they, they're they so wicked, they don't even know which way is right. right. 
And then also much cattle. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> just throw that in there. <laughs> He's got 120,000 people and a lot of cattle. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the book ends, guys. It, so uh, God's concerned with the 120,000 and all their cattle. So, um, okay. So I really don't know where to go from there, but the, let's wrap this book up with this idea. God is uh, demonstrating himself through the book of Jonah, through his interactions with the sailors, through his interaction with Jonah, through his interaction with the Ninevites and their cattle. Um, (laughs) He is demonstrating himself as a gracious and merciful God who cares about his creation, Mm -hmm. cares about his people. And, And so how does this really sit at the heart and the root of Christianity and our culture, and how can we live in such a way that this is what our faith is defined by to the world? The, uh, I heard a pastor say years ago. He said, "You will never come into a con- you will never come into contact with a person that Jesus didn't love enough to die on the cross for their sins." Amen. And uh, you know, we probably all have these moments where you hear a line like that and it changes you forever. Mm-hmm. That was that line where. I realized I had qualified and disqualified people Mm -hmm. in my mind Mm -hmm. of who could deserve the love of God. For him, it was the Ninevites and the Assyrians who would would go on to destroy Israel. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the irony of this. Forty years later, the Assyrians would come and destroy the the, uh, northern tribes of Israel. Um, And the northern tribes of Israel were actually just as wicked as them, so it was evil destroying evil. I mean, it wasn't like godly people being destroyed. Mm -hmm. But... um, in our lives, I mean, think about it. Like, we could put people into groups. Like, so the mm-hmm. person who who hurts me personally, they're the Ninevite. Or the, the group of people who vote differently than me, they're the Ninevites. You know, like in our right. culture, the Republicans, the Democrats, like uh, people that have this perspective on this or that. And and so in our minds, like, I would say modern-day Christians, that would be it. Probably politics, yeah. where they would say, like, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to show love to them. I don't want, I don't want them to have the blessing of God. Uh, or we would say the only reason I would do that is so that they could turn around and vote like me and not realize that, no, no, it's like something deeper going on. So like Jesus or, or God right here speaking through or to them, when he even says like, again, it's a, it's a funny line to us, but he's like, I care about the people and the animals. Mm-hmm. Like you're not even caring about people, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. he's like, I care about both. And when we understand that, that has to change our hearts. 100%. Yeah, and I look at even there's kind of two concepts in here that that make me understand the depth of God's mercy and grace a little bit more is the idea of when God knows full well the story and the history of everybody and anybody, even in the life of Jesus as we look at his ministry, and he still responds in mercy in those moments. I mean, even him saying like, I've raised these people up. I know every little intricate detail about their lives. And look at me. I'm still choosing to love them. I'm mm-hmm. still choosing mercy in this. And, and that always just like is such a great perspective for me because I don't see man's heart. I don't know what God wants right. to do powerfully through that situation and how he wants to radically transform it. And he probably was going to do this incredible thing in this nation or with these people. Right. Yeah, I, I love what you just said because mm-hmm. think about it. So if the Bible is not a comprehensive document in the sense of like, this is four chapters that are summarizing a really big experience. Mm-hmm. But I mean, God could have taken Jonah and walked him through. So like, what did it say earlier on? Like, it's like a three-day walk across or four days or something like three that. Three-day walk across the city. Across the city. So can you imagine mm-hmm. if God took Jonah on a walk across the city, he wouldn't go, look, there's 120,000 people. He would go, hey, look, there's Brandon. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about yeah. Brandon. Yeah. And then here's Chris. Let me tell you about Chris. And here's mm-hmm. Matthew. Let me tell you about Matthew. God would know all 120,000 of their names and their mm-hmm. stories. And that's like what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful thought. 
because we look at people through like what we don't like and God looks at them through their heart and, and their potential. And one of the things I was going to say earlier, and I feel like the right time, but now it is. <laughs> I think about the person who invited you to acquire the fire who you could have been an outsider, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Chris is not a Christian. Chris is not a follower or all these things. That person took a step of faith and think about the radical change. You're mm-hmm. now a pastor on staff. So like a day before acquire the fire, you would have never had in the wildest dreams that you would end up on staff as an associate pastor at a church, right? right. Like 100%. that thought would have been like crazy. God knew it. God yeah. knew it. Like, so God, yeah. like from you, so like you described like this intensity that you had as a ninth grader, 10th grader, frustrated, angry at life. God goes, no, that's, that's, I know him in, in 10 years. I know mm-hmm. him in three years, four years. I know him in 10 years. Like, and that's the part. So like, even when like, I'm a punk in high school and, and God goes, I, and there, and there were teachers that would be quick to tell you, you know, like <laughs> there were teachers that said to Mary, like, you shouldn't date this guy. So, and, and they were right. You know, I don't even judge them for that. But God knew me in a few years. God knew the quirky kid and stuff like that. But even like what you said, like in more serious terms, he knew you in your culture of sin and he knew where he was going to call you out mm-hmm. of. Like, that's the beauty of it. When we look at people through mm-hmm. what they're currently are like, we're missing the heart of God because the heart of God goes, I know who they currently are. I know who they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So like one last thing is like the the woman at the well, when God exposes, I talked mm-hmm. about in the last Bible study, but when he exposes her sin by saying like, you've been married five times and currently living with a guy, what he's saying is, I know who you fully are right now. A few verses later, she is described as the town evangelist. She goes in and tells <laughs> them and says, you have to all come and meet them. Mm-hmm. They come and they meet Jesus and he does miracles and there is salvation so the person who is the reject of culture at the well by herself is fully known by Jesus and becomes the evangelist. Yeah. If we look at people through the potential of what we think they can be, then we're never going to love them well. When we look at them through the lens of what God could do in His miraculous powers in their life, we, we will love differently because we will see the potential of God's power. And I think at times in my life, that's where I have I've sold people short because I've looked at them through what they have done, what they're currently doing, not looking at them through the potential of what God can do in their life. Yeah, yeah. So well and it's that potential that that Christ has chosen to change the world. Yes, like it's it's that vision of potential. Like so, when he come when he comes and he tells his disciples make make disciples, and he tells them how are you going to be known by how are, how are you going to know what this disciple is? He says you're going to know by your love for each right. other. So God could have come and said, you're going to follow, you're going to obey, you're going to do it the way that I say you're going to do it, but he doesn't. He comes and he gives sacrificially, and he loves, and he shows mercy, and and he he just, through Jesus, demonstrates this path of of care for other people and, and living out of the potential mm-hmm. for who they could be yeah. if they would catch a glimpse of God's love for them. 100%. So, like, you know, Paul says in Corinthians, he's like, God chose the foolish to yeah. shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. And he's like, think about it. How many of you were wise when you were called? How yeah. many of you were strong? Like, he's, he's it's super insulting yeah. on, on one level. Like, he's like, you guys were all a bunch of losers, right? Yeah. Because we were, mm-hmm. and we are apart from God. Right. And, and you know, I, another phrase I heard recently, this was like one of those things that will stick in my heart forever. This pastor said, he says, there. it was like a, a small clip on TikTok. He goes, there is no, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes, if that's true, I seriously doubt God's calling you to condemn. He was talking to pastors and challenging <laughs> Christians of saying, like, if you think your calling in life is to be the voice that condemns every Christian and every church and yeah. you know your theology, this and all that, he goes, 
if Jesus is not condemning, I seriously doubt he's calling you to condemn. Yeah. And and that is true of modern day. Like one of my biggest annoyance are modern day Christians, like this whole thing with Asbury Revival, how many people went on social media and TikTok to give their negative critique of what's going on because right. it didn't meet their imaginary standard that they set in their head. And I was like, you guys are the worst. Like <laughs> instead of just recognizing you don't have to use the term revival or whatever. Who cares about it? Here's yeah. what we know. This is the manifest presence of God that's being revealed on a college campus. In that community. In that community. And we should celebrate that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. So like that is, again, another example of like the right heart says, God, I don't have to fully understand everything. I trust you. So my pet peeve is, and is very similar to that. It, it's the whole idea that we get into where we want to go and we want to say... And, and nobody asked me this opinion, but I'm going to share it anyhow. But <laughs> I want to hear it. Chris, what's your opinion? <laughs> but when we think that we are going to conquer the world through power, when we're going to conquer, we're going to, we're going to advance the gospel without the means that Jesus gave us to yeah. advance the gospel. So whether we do it through our, our cultural winning, we do it through like mm-hmm. all the things that kind of were, were popular, I would say, when in the 90s Christianity growing up for me, like getting political power, being, mm-hmm. and you kind of see a, resur- a resurgence of it in certain circles, in certain Christian circles, but we need to be in control of the government. We need to, we're, we're going to, you get this picture of like, we're going to make everybody Christian by being the most powerful, being the most popular, being the most, and Christ comes along and says, no, you're going to change the world through your love of the people around you. Yeah. And you're going to change the world through showing mercy and through showing grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say something super offensive. Um, sure. I really am. Um, I think the the beauty that came out of the last political season is God purified the church. I think I think in a lot of ways. I mm-hmm. think healthy churches that said, "No, we're not going to combine with politics. We're not mm-hmm. going to get sucked into this. Instead, we're going to continue to preach the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. Right. That that's the hope of the world." What it did is it caused a lot of people in the church who had put their hopes in politics politics to pull out and either to abandon church or to go to other churches that are more political. But I think the churches that remain true to the gospel have seen a resurgence mm-hmm. of momentum yeah. in God's blessing. And and I'll speak for us. It was true for us as a church. And during that season, it was like very intense. But like there is always this dynamic of when people respond in obedience to God, the blessing of God comes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to check our hearts. All the things you just said, that we are not combining our like the, the message that God has given us, the way He's given us to do it, we're not mixing that with our own desires. We're not mixing that with a political system. We're not mixing that with the ways of the world. We're going, no, we're right. going to follow Jesus because He was so anti-cultural. Right. I mean, Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors freaked out the, the religious people of that time. And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't care mm-hmm. because his ways are different. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I do pray that that is a challenge to our hearts. It's like, let's not mix our desires, mix our ways with culture and all these different things and try to then do it in the name of Jesus. Let's follow the pattern of Jesus. Yeah, and that's Amen. honestly, to sum it up, like that is my story in a nutshell, is I felt like in high school I was on the outside. I was the one who didn't fit in with the mold with everything but then I met Jesus, and Jesus radically changed me because he treated me differently than everybody else around me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I wanted more of that. And I remember just going to church repeatedly as a sophomore in high school and just desiring so much more of that love and grace and that understanding because it changed my life forever and ever and ever. You know what I mean? I mean, I just walked yeah. out of your office this week and said, 
something about being like high school. Like I can't, I would have never imagined that God right. would have had me in this season that I'm yeah. in right now. Yeah. Looking back on the person that I was in my high school years. 100%. And God would have fully knew that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And, and thank you for explaining better what I was trying to, <laughs> what I fumbled through there. But yeah, it, 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 it this is the path of Christ that to show mercy and so gracious. And that is kind of, the book of Jonah in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will be gracious with those that I want to be gracious. And so um, any other closing thoughts with Jonah before we wrap this book up? No, I mean, the only thing I wish is, um, I, I love the way it ends, but I wish I could have found out how he processed sure, after the yeah. fact. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I do that because, because that is our story. Like, And the open-endedness of it allows us to find our story with it, yes. but then to write the ending yeah. for ourselves, right? right? And so like, I do pray, I really do, that if we're convicted in how we're treating people, that we realize if we don't change, this is how our story looks and how our story ends, mm-hmm. that God rebukes us and we're like, woof, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we can respond in grace, it'd be like adding a chapter to this where we realize, like if it said, like, and Jonah you know, was convicted to the core and said, oh God, you are so right, mm-hmm. you know, like, May that be our story. Like, may we Absolutely. write, allow God to write the ending of our story differently than how this ends. Amen. And with that, we're going to wrap it up, and we will pick up next week with uh, another Get to Know Your Bible. And so that's what's going to be releasing. We're actually going to be talking about how the Bible got to us from the time that it was written all the way up to how we get our English translation. So we're going to talk about that next week. And then we've got a Q&R podcast coming up soon, so a question and response So we would love to get your questions. Please send your questions to us. You can find the link in the show notes to that email address, and and Alex is going to put it up here on the screen for you so that you can figure out what that email address is. But send send those in to us, please. We want to answer your Bible questions. And we are so grateful and thankful for you uh, listening and for the desire that you have to grow in your faith and your understanding of the Word of God. And we will see you guys next week.